Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you all doing today? Well, the cut that I had uh, from cutting open the Easter egg that I'd been hiding from my family. This is this story is going back several weeks. So I apologise for keeping it going. It still hasn't healed. So I've had to, I got some death. This is the sort of things I do. I didn't have a lot of time in my defence and all the Savlon cream that we'd had for family stuff had run out of date and had changed colour as well. So I just thought, right, I'm going to do something different. So I cut out some cotton wool, doused it in Dettol and sellotaped it to my finger. Which, on reflection, well, it's still quite sore. It's not as sore as it was. The swelling's gone down. But I do think I might lose the skin on my entire thumb now. So it's not really working that well. Any hints for getting rid of infections in fingers from stabbing yourself with a knife while trying to cut open a chocolate Easter egg that you're hiding from your family, do let me know because... I've got guilty written all over me for that, honest to goodness. Anyway, what are we doing today? We have got some great books for you. We've got some great books, some great interviews and some, yeah, a bit of a revelation, certainly for me in the old ebook department, but more on that later. So what books are we covering today? We are covering The Last Passenger by Will Dean, and Will is very kindly coming on to talk to us about that book. Then we've got J.D. Kirk coming on to talk to us about his latest one called The One That Got Away. Brilliant. Can't wait for you to hear that interview. Then I'm reviewing Death Under a Little Sky by Stig Abel. The Woman in Black by Susan Hill and Around the World in 80 Days, an Audible special. You may ask, why am I including that? Well, I listened to it and I enjoyed it, so I thought I should tell you about it. Anyway, enough about that. Let's get stuck into these books straight away. First one by Will Dean. We've had Will on before. His writing is phenomenal. Always enjoy his books. And this is a standalone, another thriller Listen to this. I I should say, if you are planning on going on holiday on a cruise, you might reevaluate your life choices after reading this book. So, yeah, it could be quite good fun to read it on a cruise. I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to test that theory. Anyway, it's a great book. Let me tell you. Let me read you the blurb on this. 
This was supposed to be the holiday of a lifetime for Kaz. Now she just needs to survive. When Pete suggests a luxury cruise to New York, Kaz is initially in two minds. She would love a well-earned holiday, but the debts of her past weigh heavy on her. Taking the plunge, she boards the RMS Atlantica, filled with hope that this trip will cement her relationship with Pete, maybe even allow her to open up more. But when Kaz wakes up the following morning, she discovers Pete is missing from their cabin. Within minutes, her luxury holiday has turned into a living nightmare as she realises she is completely alone on the ship in the middle of the ocean. It's a, it's a brilliant book. And let's hear from Will as he reads the first few sentences now. Stepping aboard a ship is an act of faith. You place your life in the hands of the captain and crew. You decide, actively or passively, to offer up your autonomy. And oftentimes that decision is not one that is easily reversed. Fantastic. Well, I think all we need to do is go and hear Will talk about this rather splendid book. Well, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome back to the podcast the one and only Will Dean, whose latest fabulous book is called The Last Passenger. Will, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's my absolute pleasure to be back. Well, let's start off with the basic obvious question. Can you summarise this gem of a book for us? I will try. You know, normally I can't. Normally it's difficult to sum up a book in a sentence or two, but this is the first one I've written where I can try and do that. So The Last Passenger. Uh, the main character is a is a woman called Kaz, a 50-year-old cafe owner from Doncaster. And she's never really been on holiday before. So she takes a trip with her new partner, Pete, on an ocean liner. And they set off from the UK en route to New York. And the first night is great. They go out for dinner. They have cocktails in a bar. They go for a walk out on deck. They go back to their cabin. And then the next morning, she wakes up and Pete is not there in the bed. And she checks the balcony, he's not there. She goes into the bathroom, he's not there either. She goes out into the corridor and all the other cabin doors are wedged open and they are all unoccupied. She takes a walk around the whole ship and Kaz realises she's steaming into the mid-Atlantic and she's the only person on board. And it just goes on from there. I mean, my goodness. I just wonder, you know... What goes on in your mind sitting in that cabin in in Sweden, Will? What warped ideas do you get about nice things there? I know, I know. It, it It's worrying. But I think a lot of it is just living in a very isolated place. You know, I tend to write isolated settings. And I have the imagination still of a child of, of when I was a little boy. And when I was a boy, I was very shy and very comforted by two things. One is nature and one is books and stories. And I'm still kind of that kid now. 45 years later so this one I had the idea during the pandemic and I had seen an image or a very quick video clip of like a drone flying around four or five cruise ships these massive metallic giants that were moored off an island somewhere in the Caribbean obviously nobody was taking those trips at that point and I just thought that it looked so eerie you know it was flying low on the decks and these places you see them naturally thronging with people, huge crowds, thousands, four or 5,000 people on some of these ships. And to see them all empty was quite post-apocalyptic and quite unnerving. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was my kind of starting off point. Imagine being the only person on a ship like that. And not only are you the only one there, but you don't know why you're the only one there. And the ship is moving and you go up to the bridge and it's, it's uh, completely deserted. It's just 
it scared me. I guess that's always my starting point. If it makes me uncomfortable, I want to go there. And did you have lots of extravagant research trips on uh, these incredible cruise ships just to help your knowledge? Or did you just, again, as you say, use your imagination? I think like between lockdowns in that weird time, I thought I'm going to take a trip on the QM2 to New York. I'm going to talk to my accountant, see if that is doable, see if that is tax deductible (laughs) and get a real feel for that particular ship. And, uh, and then the other lockdowns, like COVID just kept rolling on and on and on. We thought it would just be a few weeks or months and it just kept going. So no, I did not go on the ship. And once I'd started really researching and working on the story, I didn't want to go on that ship (laughs) and I will never step foot on one of those ships after writing this book. So I had to do my research kind of vicariously through a lot of YouTube videos and a lot of books. I bought a lot of books on various different ocean liners. And then I tore them up, tore the pages out, and I put them up all over my walls and my office. And my writing room is kind of a bomb site, very chaotic. But the walls are wallpapered now in various images of the engine rooms and the the bars and the libraries of various different ocean liners so that before I start writing each morning, I could really immerse myself in in that place. And have you had any marketing departments of cruise ships contact you to beg you to change it somewhat? I mean, we might get a super injunction. The book isn't quite out yet, so we might get stopped in our tracks. But no, I think that the cruise industry might hate me. Although I think I have heard a few people uh, related to the cruise industry saying that it should be like a reading a book club or reading group pick on a on a ship. I'm not sure about that one. but <laughs> Oh, I think that'd be great to watch. It would be like a type of goggle box, watching people starting to read the book and then getting more and more yeah. unnerved as time goes on. <laughs> well, let's talk about Kaz, because she's quite a character. How soon did she arrive in your mind? She was there as soon as I saw that empty ship, you know, a ship that normally has 1,600 people on board. I saw this the woman's walking through this ship and she was obviously confused kind of questioning her own sanity she was also really worried about what happened to her partner what happened to everybody else on board but also there's so many unanswered questions and that terrifying feeling of being completely out of control in a setting which is wild so she's steaming into the into the ocean and she doesn't know how the ship is sailing itself and she does she she needs those questions to be answered, the kind of questions we all have on an aeroplane if there's serious turbulence or a, or a problem with an engine or on a, on a ship like that. You, you're out of your comfort zone and you need people in uniform who have knowledge and expertise to be able to say, it's okay, this is the reason why this is happening, this is going to happen next, and not to have any answers, not to be able to use your phone because out there there's no phone reception, not to be able to get, get contact with someone who does know, who can give you some reassurance. It's utterly terrifying. And I think also that travel anxiety we all have anyway of like when you go somewhere, it's great to be able to go somewhere, but you also worry a little bit about what you leave behind, whether that's a pet or your home or your elderly mother or whatever. And she has a lot of that. She has a lot of family members and people who depend on her, uh, the people who work in the cafe in Doncaster. So she's already not at ease with leaving all that behind. And now she's cut off. And uh, yeah, I saw her very vividly. I, I, I still don't really know what she looks like. And I never really know what my main characters look like because the books are written in first person. And I see the world of this ship through her eyes. But I know, I feel like I know her very well. And is she still there talking to you now? Or has she 
stopped. No, none of them are. Not even Tuva. Between the Tuva Midison books, I give her a, a break. I have to, you know, they have to get on with their own world and, and their own life. And no, I think that would be weird and it would overwhelm me completely because I, it's very overwhelming when I write a first draft in kind of a month and I, I really inhabit that character for that month. I can't go on after that. I'm exhausted. So no, I don't know what Kaz is doing now. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I just feel like when I'm actually writing that person, that I'm, I need to understand what makes them tick. You know, a few of their secrets and a few of their uh, their fears and concerns. And really, uh, some authors when they write a character, they write like a CV. And they know the education background. They know all the little details. And I'm not interested in that. I want to know how they feel about things. Yeah. Because that's how I'm going to feel when I'm writing the book. So, yeah. Kaz was, Kaz was challenging to write, but also very fun. She's very resilient. Now, we're not going to do any spoilers, but I do just have to say that the book has a particular ending. <laughs> <laughs> how early on did you know that was going to be the ending? Not that early on. Not that early on. I normally see the a rough guide of the whole story before I start writing. So I know the kind of act one, act two, act three. And I, I see some specific scenes very vividly before I start. I really replay them before I start writing. But that particular ending, as with most of my endings, I don't really see it coming. I get surprised normally about two thirds of the way through the book. And often at that point, I realize what the book is actually about. Or I, I kind of am able to zoom out. I understand it well enough. I'm able to zoom out and see what happens next. So often I'm very, very uh, shocked and intrigued by that thing that comes from nowhere. I don't know where it comes from. If it comes from, it probably comes from me just being a reader, you know. And uh, and it's very exciting when one of those happens. And I, it, you can't. I don't think you can force it. You can't like artificially create some kind of interesting twist or ending you just have to for me at least I have to immerse myself in the story and in the characters and then whatever comes naturally comes and you quote at the beginning from Frankenstein and Moby Dick I thought it was very telling for the book with again were those immediate did you have to think about what you wanted to quote from or were, were they just there they came pretty quickly actually when I started thinking about the themes of the book uh, Frankenstein is one of is one of my favorite books that I read when I was a teenager, and it really blew me away how Mary Shelley managed to create that narrative. And the themes of that book kind of resonate through this book uh, in terms of like creating a monster and, and dealing with that monster, and the the pros and cons of have, dreaming that and thinking that and building that into existence. And then also, and that's something that I I can't go into more detail on that because it would ruin the book. But you know what I'm talking about. And then with Moby Dick, obviously, there's that kind of nautical uh, reference, but there's also that idea of of that whale and being out of control and being swallowed down by the whale, and that resonates on a couple of different levels with the book as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's one of those stories where you really go on a ride, you go on a roller coaster, and you have to kind of hang on tight. Yes, on land <laughs> yes. as well. Um, we're talking now before publication day, which will be the 11th of May, but this interview will go out a couple of weeks afterwards. So can I just ask about publication days in general? What Do you have a set pattern of what you do? What are they like from like one minute past midnight to one minute to midnight? 
That's a great question. So no, like in lockdown, so for two years, I couldn't, I had like four books out and obviously I was still here in the forest. So then it was quite weird. It was a, a lot of it was done through social media. So I could, I could get contact from readers. Readers would send me photographs of them receiving the books, which was great. And so that was lovely. And then, you know, I would just, generally I would just write that day because I need to get distance from that as well. So I would be happy that it was all happening, but also I'm in the middle of a new story that will come out in four years time. So I need to focus on that. And then in the afternoon, evening, I would normally do like, uh, I think I did a, we took over Waterstones Instagram and I did a, uh, interview with Ellie Griffiths interviewed me and she's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, that was a lovely chat. And then I would just go and kind of go off into my, into the woods, to my shack and have a beer with my dog, honestly. <laughs> and it was very nice. It was very nice. And just kind of reflect on it. And I feel very lucky to be able to be a writer. You know, I never thought I would be a writer. I was content being a reader well into my thirties. I never thought I'd be a writer from my background. And so I feel very uh, fortunate. But now that I'm able to travel again, so this, this with this book, I'm doing a, a tour for two and a half weeks around the UK. So on the 11th, I will be, I don't know where I'll be. I'll be in Newcastle or Bristol or somewhere. I can't remember my schedule. My publicist knows it. But I will be, I'm going to like a different town or city every night, which will be fantastic. You know, it's, it'll be brilliant to meet readers and to get out of my swampy forest. It will be fantastic. So is it less publication day and more publication week and, and month? It is now that I'm traveling again. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a couple of weeks. So it's three weeks. I think it will be quite intense and lovely so i meet a lot of booksellers and go on a lot of radio shows and do a lot of events in libraries and bookshops which is brilliant i love doing that because it's so fun to actually be able to chat about my books and other people's books as well it's it's great and then i will be because i'm a real hermit so after that i will be on my plane coming back to the woods and uh, i'm writing a new book the first draft of a new book in june so i will get straight into the preparation for that so from one extreme to the other mm. So what scares you during publication week? Is it the actual, I don't know, being in a room with a lot of people because, you know, you, you're on your own with your family quite a lot? Or is it just what the feedback will be or the pressure for the next book? I don't worry about the feedback so much because proofs have been out for like a year at that point. So my fellow writers have been reading the book, journalists have been reading it. I know roughly what people think of it by then so I'm kind of I'm okay with that part of it it's more I'm just an introvert so it's just very even just like being on trains and planes and airports find it very overwhelming because we live in the middle of absolutely nowhere in the wild so I'm used to seeing nobody for two weeks apart from my wife and my boy so it's uh it's wonderful to get out and see people because that is also you know I like people but also it's great material you know if i'm on a train to leeds and i'm overhearing little snippets of dialogue between two sisters that might <laughs> pop up in a book in five or six years time so it all gets filed away so it's fantastic for for that but uh i need those both i need those two extremes i love being at events and festivals and then i love withdrawing and getting getting to work yeah i can understand that if you could go back to when you were well maybe when you were writing your first book or in the whole time you've been writing if if you could change one thing what what would you change Oof, that is a good question I don't think I've ever been asked that maybe there's nothing to change maybe it's you know everything has a reason and a purpose I mean a bit like that I don't think 
I mean, I feel like I'm just starting this whole thing. And maybe ask me when I'm 60 and hopefully I'm still writing then or 70. But I'm just, I think it's very important to distance yourself from the pressures of publishing and all of that world. And as a writer, just to sit down and, and get on with the job and work on your craft. Maybe that's, and that's what I try and do. But I think next year I might even become more hermetic and stay in the woods even more and work on my craft even more because that is what I get a buzz out of more than anything. But in terms of changing anything, I don't really have any regrets. I feel, like I said, I feel very, very lucky. I have to pinch myself and uh, I like what I do. So. so when you were writing this book, I don't know what you were doing to get yourself in the zone. Did you have your family wait on you or did you dress up in sort of evening <laughs> cruise attire sitting at the captain's table? Oh, that sounds great. No. My wife would say no to that anyway. No, there's none of that kind of diva behavior is allowed here. No, I mean, when I'm writing the first draft, I'm literally, I, I'm in that character's head the whole time. I'm in Kaz's head. So I wake up in the morning, I'll be thinking about the next scene. I'll write the first chapter of the day. And then in lunchtime, I'll go, I'll walk my dog and I'll be thinking about the next scene. In the afternoon, I'll write the second chapter of the day. And then in the evening, I have to be a normal person. So I have to be able to wash up and collect my kid from school and do these things. But I'm not very mentally present, I must admit. I'm I'm kind of a zombie for that month. I think my wife, bless her, is used to that now. I was going to ask, are your family used to that? Oh, he's, he's in the zone. Yeah, there, there's a certain amount of things I'm allowed to get away with. You know, I'm allowed to be zoned out and thinking about my book but I like I said I have to do the things that we all do and here in Scandinavia everything is very equal you you everybody does it shares everything we share you know when when Alfred our kid was uh, zero to one and a half my wife did nine months maternity leave then I did nine months paternity leave that's just the way it is and I like that I enjoyed that actually when I wrote my debut Dark Pines I wrote it in his naps thank goodness he was a good napper in terms of like method, the method approach of my wife coming and serving me a cocktail, no, I, it's not going to happen. <laughs> that, that didn't happen. Now we come to the final question, which is the most important one. I mean, it's all well and good talking about The Last Passenger, but let's get down to the important stuff here, Will. What biscuit were you eating when you were writing The Last Passenger? What biscuit is your choice? I thought you were going to ask me what biscuit Bernie prefers then. <laughs> Which would be a massive biscuit. He eats these huge bones that we get, like dinosaur bones. But <laughs> I eat probably something Swedish and weird. We have my wife has biscuits with bits of salt licorice in them and things like that. And gingerbreads is a big thing here. I know, I, I know. That's a, that's the right reaction. It's quite odd. Uh, but I probably had like um, I drink a lot of green tea when I'm writing. Like huge, I have these huge mugs of green tea, and I was probably eating a hobnob. Yes, I'm finding hobnobs are very popular with authors. Okay, that's interesting. But one author said he keeps his chocolate hobnobs in the freezer. And I've tried it and it is a sensation, let me tell you. Straight from the freezer, <laughs> a chocolate hobnob. Wow. I've learned something today. I'm gonna I'm gonna go and try that. <laughs> yeah. When you woke up this morning, you didn't know what, what you were going to be learning. That sounds like the kind of thing Tuba would eat for breakfast. She would have five of those for breakfast. Well, he said his mother always kept biscuits in the freezer. So Okay. But... I'm, I'm gonna try that. So when you come over to England, are you sort of raiding all the the food shops to take back to Sweden or can you get a good supply there? I used to, when I was homesick the first years, kind of 12 years ago, yeah, I would come back with all sorts of weird stuff, marmalade and marmite and all these things, bag of crumpets in my suitcase. 
but now honestly i'm i've just been here so long i'm kind of uh i find we grow a lot of our own food now we kind of upped our vegetable production so no not so much anymore i might bring back a few things for my my son he likes like beano comics and and all things like that so i'll bring back things for him but not so much for me i'm i'm uh, i'm now a swede so my good the transformation is complete yes <laughs> <laughs> well it's just been great to talk to you well and we can't wait to uh, see and hear about people reading and enjoying The Last Passenger. Will Dean, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Coming up, one more author interview and more book reviews. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Next, we have JD Kirk, who's written The One That Got Away. Let me read you the blurb on this one. What if your worst enemy was your only hope? When a 15-year-old girl fails to make it home after school, D.I. Heather Filson believes she's dealing with just another teenage runaway. The girl's grandfather, a notorious Glasgow gangster, disagrees. Convinced one of his underworld enemies has grabbed her, he's prepared to bathe the city in blood in order to bring his princess home. But as the days pass and the evidence mounts, Heather starts to fear that they're both wrong and that a brutal killer from the past has returned. A killer who once stalked the streets of her hometown, preying on vulnerable young victims. A killer that D.I. Heather Filson is uniquely familiar with. Doesn't that sound good? Anyway, let's hear J.D. Kirk read the first few sentences. I should say um, there's a it's not a very spicy first few sentences, but there's a little bit in it. So if you've got precious ears listening to the podcast, I know some of you listen while you're taking kids to school and all sorts of things. So if you've got precious ears listening, um, maybe cover those ears for the next minute. But it's not it's it's nothing expletive. I'm making a lot of this and I need to stop talking. Here's J.D. Kurt reading the first few sentences now. Between the pain needling through her skull and the erection jabbing into her back, 
Heather Filson could tell that mistakes had been made. It was now just a question of magnitude. Fantastic. And we need to go and talk to J.D. Kurt now because not only has he written quite a few books and is so well known and so well regarded, he's got a very, very interesting story to tell about why he has gone the sort of self-publishing route and the logic behind it. I mean, it's quite a revelation for me. Anyway, you've noticed she's waffling. Let's hear now. Well, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome today J.D. Kirk, whose latest fabulous book is called The One That Got Away. J.D. Kirk, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you on. Now, we're going to start with the painful first question, the obvious one, but we have to do it. Can you give us a summary of this book? Probably, yeah. I'm Hopefully I can remember that far back. Um, <laughs> it is about, it's a spin-off from my DCI Jack Logan series. It's the first book starring D.I. Heather Filson. It starts with a girl going missing in Kilmarnock in Scotland. She's on her way home from school and never makes it home. Heather thinks originally that she's just another sort of teenage runaway and that she's going to turn up and then things take a much darker turn and uh, Heather realises that the case is connected to something that happened to her as a child and I, I won't say much more than that for fear of giving away spoilers. And you've written quite a few books, it's fair to say. So why this one and why now? I like setting myself challenges so basically heather appeared in the dci logan series and almost everyone universally hated her as a character and and i quite liked her she's an unpleasant quite an unpleasant character but uh, or certainly she is in the the dci logan books quite a lot of people kind of emailed saying i hope i never hope she never appears again i hate her she's really annoying and then i thought well i'm gonna give her her own book Partly just out of spite, partly to go, right, well, you hate her, well, here's more of her. But, but mostly to try and sort of win people over to her. Because I never, you know, with, with a couple of exceptions, the characters that appear regularly in the series have some levels of redeeming qualities, some more so than others. And Heather, her first appearance, she, she's just sort of a bit antagonistic. And then in the second appearance, you find out a little bit more about why she is that way. And people sort of slightly started warming to her. Some did, a lot of people still detest her. And then I kind of, I wanted to explore that a bit further and see why she is the way she is. So... So yeah, so basically, as I sort of challenged myself to go right, lots of people don't like her. Can I can I make them like her with this book without changing her? Because it's that it's very easy to make someone like her if you go, oh, actually she's really nice and she was just having a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> so it's keeping her the yeah. way she was in in the Logan series, but showing a bit more of what's behind that and and the layers beneath it. And did you know all those layers before you started writing this book or did she surprise you as you went along? She surprised me, yeah, she surprised me a lot actually. So the first time she appeared, she was just, it was just, I need a difficult character to be a thorn in DCI Logan's side basically. So she wasn't, she was fairly two-dimensional in that regard. Um, she was like a, a figure from his past. They've, they had a relationship before and she was kind of threatening his relationship um, that he's in at the moment in the series. And, and people are very protective of that relationship that he has. So when they saw her as a threat to that, they, they all hated her. 
And then later on, I brought her back when, and she has a much bigger part in a later book. And I started to sort of see, I kind of thought then, but I can't just make her, she's just awful all the time. I need to show another side to her to show why she has got the respect of, of her team and all that stuff and and show why she maybe behaves the way she is, why she has this sort of shell around her. So I, I, I said, hinted at that in that book. And then when I came to explore that further, I learned loads about her backstory and, and who she is and, and things just suddenly popped up that like I like she lives with her dad who is um has uh dementia so she's kind of dealing with that and then all the things that have happened in her own past have have left their mark on her as well so so yeah discovering her relationships within our kind of family and beyond that even with the team at work was was sort of eye-opening for me and it was it was a nice sort of little voyage of discovery through D.I. Heather Filson's psyche. <laughs> Did you base her on anybody? No, no. She just sort of, I, I don't, I, I very rarely, or not consciously anyway, I don't really base characters on anyone in particular. I think some of them have elements of me in them. Her probably less so. Uh, there is a character in it who's, who's based on my daughter a bit. There is a character who, who was going to be in one chapter, uh, a small scene in one chapter. And she she just stole the, the scene so much that I ended up keeping her in. She appears kind of consistently throughout the book. The book, yeah, the book surprised me quite a lot all the way through. Things have, things changed from my original plan in the book and it sort of grew organically and, and, and that was nice. It's, it's nice when that happens. You kind of just have to sort of surrender to it and not, and just and not get too protective about that outline you had in, in the first place. So how do you balance getting the revelations as we go along and placing bits of breadcrumbs for us to follow? Two ways, really. So I, I sort of plan out, I go, right, I know who done it, you know, at the start, and I, I know why they did it, and I know how they did it. And that's generally, once I know that, everything else can sort of fall into place. Now, that's not to say that sometimes that doesn't change, however... <laughs> And I'll get to the end and go, no, it's not them that did it. It's this character that did it. In which case, I then have to go back and then seed through the clues and, and, you know, put the red herrings in and all that stuff. So before I did crime fiction, when I was doing, I did comedy science fiction, I did children's books, and I did very, very little planning for that. It was like, I have an idea for an ending and I'm going to aim in that direction and I'll get there eventually. And that was how it generally worked. But crime fiction, because because it is key to have these clues seeded through and you need to get to the end and go, well, of course it was them. Mm. It, it makes perfect sense that it was them. But you don't want it to be obvious during the actual reading part. It's, a, it's kind of a, 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 a juggling act to do. So generally, as I have the plan in advance, I, I aim that way and usually it's pretty close to what I planned out. And then I might still have to go back and go, right, I need to clarify why he did that and why that clue was there and, and all that stuff. So... Uh, so the, the editing process is pretty key for, for crime fiction. And is it hard to get enough sort of blood and murder in, but not too much? Because you're not, your books are definitely not cosy crime, but equally you don't want some people saying, as I have unfortunately myself in the past with some books, oh, it's a bit too, yeah. it's almost horror for me. You know, I couldn't sleep at night. It must be quite hard to tread that path in between. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, sometimes some, some are darker than others. 
I think it's about just not being gratuitous with it. And I think it's about kind of showing respect to the characters themselves. And I think all the characters in, or or, or all my main characters in my books, so like DCI Logan, the pathologist, and, and all the main characters in the books, they show respect for the victim, you know. And I think as as the author, it's your job to do that as well. You know, this is, you're writing about a person. It's a fictional person, but you're writing about a person who has died. And I think I don't go into, you know, gore or horror sort of direction it's about um it's kind of you know factual is that these are the things that have happened and i think having the characters ha- have the empathy for that mm. and 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 it not being just a blase oh someone's had their head cut off or whatever i think that makes the difference for me and heather's no different than that heather heather feels things perhaps even more than than, than some of the other characters um, and has that empathy, even though she she hides it a lot of the time. And let's talk about ebooks because they are a very important part of your business. We had an author on recently, Becca Day, who was saying she uses a publisher who's uh, publishes the books first as an ebook, yeah, yeah, and then in print, and that works incredibly well. And the numbers are astonishing. Presumably, that's a again a deliberate move of yours. Yeah, well, I was published by lots of different traditional publishers um, over the years. My children's books, so HarperCollins, Penguin Random House, and lots of others. And I was always perpetually skint. I never had any money. It was, I mean, I did 180 books in 10 years. I was always writing. I was always in demand. I won awards. I was, I, I never knew that I could pay my rent in two months' time. I knew I could pay it the following month. But I never knew I could pay it in two months' time um, because, you know, royalty rate is 7.5% for traditional publishing. And that was usually 7.5% of the publisher's cut. And then there was an agent's cut and all that stuff. So when a book sold at 6 99 say, I was coming away with 15 pence a copy, you know. Wow. Uh, so you've got to sell a huge amount of volume just to make your, your um, advance back, let alone to get into any sort of earning potential. And then in 2016, I was asked to go to a school and talk to kids about how they could publish their own work. And I had no idea how they could publish their own work, because as far as I knew, you just typed up a book, you emailed it to London, and then, you know, six months to two years later, a paperback arrived in the post. And that was my entire understanding of the process. So I went to this school, I thought I'm going to before I'm going to, I want to go and do this, I'm going to learn how to self-publish a book. And I wrote a comedy science fiction book called Space Team which I published under my own name. I stuck it on Kindle, thinking, right, I understand this process now. I designed the cover myself. I edited it myself. I thought, right, I understand how this works. I can now go and tell these kids how they can do the same thing. And while I kind of wasn't looking, that book started out selling all my children's books. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And the difference being, I was selling it, on, it was exclusively on Kindle at that point. And I was selling it at like £2.99. And... With the royalty rate that you get from Kindle, instead of getting 15 pence, I was getting £2.10 of that £2.99. So I was selling more and I was making considerably more from, you know, per copy. So I thought, well, I'm going to write a second book in this series. And I ended up writing 12 books in that series and then three spin-offs. And, and then 2019, I wrote the first crime novel, A Litter of Bones, the first DCI book, DCI Logan book. And it outsold the entire space team series in like a week um and we've done three million copies now of the the dci logan books mostly ebook it kind of goes ebook audiobook 
and then paperback at the bottom. So it's like 70% ebook, 25% audio, and 5% paperback. And do you mind me asking about audiobooks? Do you make a similar sum? Are they more profitable than a paperback for you? Yes. Yeah, so the, the audio, it depends. Like there's a sort of weird dark art that Audible works and it goes right. You're getting a percent, you're getting, I think it's like 40% royalty if you're exclusive, 25% if you're not exclusive. But that 40% is like, well, some people are using a credit. So you're getting a 40% of a pool of money from credits and some people are buying it, but they're a member, so they get it at a discount, so you're getting 40% of that. Some people are buying it and they're not a member. Some people are adding it on to, if you buy the Kindle book, you can often add the audio for like £2.99. Uh, yeah. So, but basically, I think on average, I get about, for an audiobook, I get about £3.50 on average. And so, and, and you know, and, and we're, we're kind of selling, you know, 15,000 audiobooks a month at the moment and do you notice the sales of ebooks diminishing at all or is it just getting stronger and stronger no just getting i, I see reports and like so the bookseller saying oh ebooks on the way out and and that is they're just looking at ebooks published by the big traditional publishers and they're going we're selling an ebook at 12.99 and people are going well no i'll stick to the paperback or the hardback indie publishing the ebook sales are skyrocketing and constantly going up, but those figures aren't included. So, you know, I can say I've sold, say, 2 million ebooks. They're not included in those figures anywhere for ebook sales um, that are reported in the, the kind of trade press. Um, and people like LJ Ross, I mean, LJ Ross uh, is the second highest selling author on Amazon of all time, you know, second only to James Patterson. And she's an indie author, so none of her books are included in those figures that you see people saying ebooks are on the decline. So they're not, they're massively on the rise. Um, in the US, 70% of all fiction is read on Kindle. So it's crazy. Just goes to show the the system's got it got it all wrong. But for people that read the one that got away and love it, can they expect to hear more of Heather? Yes, that's the hope, certainly. They, 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 I, I did a, a, another spin-off from the DCI Logan books featuring a character called Robert Hoon, who was like a former detective superintendent, and uh, he loses his job during the DCI Logan series, and he has his own little spin-off. So there were, there were going to be three of those. It was going to be a trilogy, and then I called one Northwind, I called one Southpaw, and I called one Westward. And it was my son who said, we well, can't not have a fourth one. You can't have <laughs> North, South and West and not have East. So I kind of went, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. So I did a fourth book in that, in that one. Heather, I think I'll probably do something similar, probably looking at sort of, at the moment, looking at three-ish and see how that goes. I'm still continuing the DCI Logan series in between times. I think that one will just run and run because I'm, 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 you know, really enjoying that, and I'm really enjoying those characters and 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 being in that world with them. So um, there are two more Logan books out this year, but I think yeah, this certainly won't be the last people see you of Heather, even if they do hear. <laughs> well, hopefully not. They've got to get the book to find out. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I genuinely think from a um, I think it's probably the best book I've ever written. Like, I think it's plot-wise and kind of depth of character-wise, I think it's it's the best book I've ever written. So I'm hoping people enjoy it. I'm sure they will. My goodness, it's a superb book. But we come to the last question, which is the most important one on this podcast. So 
just prepare yourself. Okay. What biscuit was powering the writing of the one that got away? What is your biscuit of choice? Tunnock's caramel wafer. Every time. I mean, there's not there's not even a debate to be had. Um, <laughs> a, a lovely foil wrapped Tunnock's caramel wafer. I should be sponsored. I think they appear frequently in the DCI Logan series. And there's there's one character, Detective Inspector Ben Ford, who like hoards them like like Gollum from Lord. You know, he, he's he's just protecting them. At, <laughs> My precious. Oh God, yeah, yeah. So, um, and in and the book I've just finished, actually, the Logan book, he actually opens a pack. He's celebrating something, and he opens a packet of 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 caramel wafers, and allows other people to eat them. And everyone is like so, you know, they think he's dying or something because he's. <laughs> He's being so uncharacteristically generous with his tunics. <laughs> Apparently there's a fine art to folding the wrapper back so it looks like it is still intact and you haven't actually eaten the biscuit. Yeah, yeah. People do a lot of things with the wrappers. I've seen them use them in artworks and all kinds of things. There's a shop in Glasgow where you can buy T-shirts with the sort of design on it and you can buy tote bags and all that stuff it's a whole thing yeah well that's great thank you i love the biscuit love the book and i really appreciate your honesty as well i've learned so much in our conversation and just really looking forward to more people reading the one that got away jd kirk thank you so much well thank you very much for having me good to speak to you that interview has really made me question why i don't read more books on kindle and i hadn't realized the benefit to authors as well. So yes, Philippa's re-evaluating her life choices, that's for sure. Anyway, we've got to go on to the other books and review them quickly. This is what I'm trying to do now and failing. Anyway, here we go. So the next book is Death Under a Little Sky. It's coming up to the Hay Festival and I was looking forward to seeing Ellie Griffiths, dear friend of the podcast there. And she is appearing with Mick Heron, obviously heard about Mick, and Stig Abel. Now, I hadn't read Stig's book, so I thought, I need to read this. And I had a little look at the blurb and I thought, yeah, this is something I have to read. Here we go. A detective ready for a new life. For years, Jake Jackson has been a high-flying detective in the city. One day he receives a letter from his reclusive uncle. He has left Jake his property in the middle of the countryside. It is the perfect opportunity for a fresh start. Life in the middle of nowhere is everything Jake could wish for. His home is beautiful and his surroundings are stunning. While the locals are eccentric, they are also friendly and invite him to join their annual treasure hunt. What starts as an innocent game turns sinister when a young woman's bones are discovered and Jake is thrust once again into the role of detective as he tries to unearth a dangerous killer in this most unlikely of settings. First sentence is prologues. It is a long way. Prologues? Why am I saying that? <gasps> dear, oh dear. There are logs involved in this book. I won't give the game away, but it's not logs. It's pro-log. Here we go. It is a long way as the heron flies between lights in this part of the countryside. There is much silence and gloom in between, though the air is never completely still. Things rustle and murmur. Creatures slink and scurry. Not just animals, but the occasional human too. The expanse is too forgiving for those with malign intent and you can disappear into the twilight softness with great alarming ease. Oh, do you know, I've just, <laughs> I've just realised how relevant the pro... You know, you read a prologue and I'm terrible, I don't go back. And I'm rereading this prologue and I'm just... Oh my goodness, this prologue is absolutely incredible. Get this book 
read the prologue and the story, but then go back and you should reread the prologue. The prologue should be reprinted at the end of this book. Anyway, that's not what I'm I'm here to say. It's a great book. It's different. It's a very different sort of crime story. I felt very sort of taken away. It's got the eeriness of sort of Rebecca, but it's not Rebecca at all. I just felt very involved in the scenery and the silence and the isolation in the community, which really added to the story. Very good. Bravo. Well done. Next one is Woman in Black by Susan Hill. Now, I wanted to walk up a hill. There's a hill I want to walk up. It's very tall. And I thought, well, it would be great if I read a book about hills while I'm on that hill. I couldn't find a book I like the sound of. So I thought, right, which author has got hill in their name? Susan Hill. OK, I'll read this book. I thought, I know it's scary, but actually I think I'm getting much braver. I'll be fine. I didn't get to go up the hill for various family issues. Life's been a bit busy, but I've still read the book. Here's the blurb. I mean, I'm sure you know it, but anyway, here's the blurb. Arthur Kipps, a junior solicitor, is summoned to attend the funeral of Mrs Alice Drablow, the sole inhabitant of Eelmarsh House. The house stands at the end of a causeway wreathed in fog and mystery, but it is not until he glimpses a wasted young woman dressed all in black at the funeral that a creeping sense of unease begins to take hold. A feeling deepened by the reluctance of the locals to talk of the woman in black and her terrible purpose. Let's do first few sentences. Christmas Eve. It was 9.30 on Christmas Eve as I crossed the long entrance hall of Monk's Peace on my way from the dining room where we had just enjoyed the first of the happy festive meals towards the drawing room and the fire around which my family were now assembled. I paused and then, as I often do in the course of an evening, went to the front door, opened it and stepped outside. It's a short book. It's 200 pages. And for, I enjoyed the book. And for most of it, I was like, mm, this isn't scaring me at all. And then I thought, right, I'm going to read this book in the bath. Sorry for the gruesome details. I was in the bath and I was so scared that I thought I cannot get out of this bath until I've finished this book. Because if I have to finish this book at night when I'm trying to get to sleep, it's not going to be pretty. So I sat in that bath, freezing cold at this point, but I could not get out until I finished the book. And I needed to finish the book because I was so scared. It's a brilliant book. Thoroughly recommend it. I downloaded the film afterwards and thought, yes, I'm going to watch that. And then I thought, no, I can't. it's too it's too scary. And the bit with the dog. Oh, my goodness. It, great book. Really good. So maybe I need to read more ghost books. Maybe I need to get up that hill. And I did actually then buy a, a first of a crime series by Susan Hill because that sounded good. She's a great writer. Anyway, I'm waffling. Final one is only available on Audible, I'm afraid. And it's a sort of dramatisation. It's around the world in 80 days and it's read by various people, but they read it so well that they dramatise it. And the main person is Toby Jones, who I think is an incredible actor. Yes, he's been in The Detectorist, but lots of, lots of things. And what I love about him is whatever part he plays, he's incredible at it, all different types. So I wanted to listen to it. It's been a while and I just really enjoyed it. I think some of the story is in this modern age is somewhat out of date, 
but I was able to forgive that. And I just thought it's a bit of fun and the pace and what's going to happen. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Around the World in 80 Days. And that's just, I'm afraid, on Audible only. Of course, you can read the book and you can listen to it on other apps. It's just the particular dramatisation of that, I believe, is only available on Audible. That's it. I've waffled. I need to stop. What books have we talked about this week? We've talked about The Last Passenger by Will Dean and Will very kindly came on the podcast. We've talked about The One That Got Away by J.D. Kirk and J.D. Kirk very kindly came on to talk about that book. We've talked about Death Under a Little Sky by Stig Abel. The Woman in Black by Susan Hill and Around the World in 80 Days, the Audible special dramatisation with Toby Jones. All winners, as far as I'm concerned, superb books. That's it. I'm on my way. I hope you're OK. I hope you're doing OK. I hope when I talk to you next week, my thumb is still attached to my hand and it hasn't fallen off. I think I've got rid of the infection, you know. It's not as puffy as it was. Anyway, who knows? <laughs> We'll leave it there. Just look after yourselves and I'll talk to you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.